Um, I love that you guys are in a series on prayer. That's like what you guys have been talking about this whole year is, Lord, teach us how to pray. And there has been nothing more humbling and nothing more encouraging in my life than when I, as a pastor and ministry leader, have admitted to God, to myself, and to others that I need to be taught how to pray, right? It's humbling for me to say that, like I'm supposed to be teaching you guys how to pray. I'm a pastor. I don't know how to pray as well as I should. I need to be taught. We need to be taught. We need to humble ourselves and admit that we have a long way to go to learn what it means to commune with the God of the universe to lay down all of the things of ourselves that hinder us from connecting with the God, the lover of our souls, Jesus who laid down his life because he wanted to be with us forever. And yet we treat prayer like it's some kind of like side dish to what it means to follow Jesus or like this really hard conversation that we've been avoiding and so we don't wanna, you know? So admitting that we need to be taught is the first step and that's where you guys have already been and so beyond admitting that we don't know how to pray and that we need to be taught one of the most humbling and encouraging aspects of prayer that we need to be taught and that i have been grappling with and thinking about and praying about and reading about over this past year has been specifically the discipline of listening what does it mean? And the prayer team was doing that before the gathering even, as Devin mentioned. What does it mean to quiet ourselves to listen to God? Does God actually want to speak to us? Is it possible to hear from God on a regular basis the way that you would hear from a friend or pick up the phone and you know listen to your mom talk on the other end of the phone? Is it possible to hear from God regularly? Well, I'm pretty sure I don't have to like belabor this point, but we live in an age of incredible distraction, like more distracted generationally and within our culture, specifically Western culture, specifically Los Angeles, than any other culture in the history of humanity. And that's not an exaggeration. We are more distracted by notifications that come up on your phone something that happens like the same amount of importance that would be like hearing from your mom via text and a company is trying to get your attention to buy something it comes to you the exact same way we get distracted we have too many tabs open on our browser what was i looking at again the tabs are so small you can't even read what they are anymore you're like oh i didn't i don't need to watch that I mean, oh, x out of that tab oh i did need that one oh go through the history we're so distracted we have lack of eye contact when we're talking to a friend that we actually want to get to know better and catch up with because our phone is out on the table during lunch. And if you know your phone is out on the table during lunch, when you're having lunch with somebody, you're gonna get distracted. If you see their phone out on the table, they're gonna be, uh-huh, yeah. Oh, oh, what was that again? We are so distracted and in an age like ours, when we are so distracted, it's hard to know who to listen to and what voices are the most important voices to listen to. 
The first quote in your handout um, after our passage today, you can flip back there, is Mark Sayers from his book, Reappearing Church. He says that in an, in an age like ours, we become addicted to technology, addicted to more commentary, and addicted to more information as the cure for our ills. When we don't know who to listen to, we try to listen to as much as we can. We try to listen to everything. When there's a moment of silence in our day, we put on a podcast. When we're walking to class or we're walking to work, we put on music because we can't deal with the deafening silence. And we need to listen to something to distract ourselves from that silence, whether it's podcast, whether it's news, whether it's someone's hot take on social media or something, noise helps us disassociate from the need to sit still with our thoughts and the reality that the God of the universe wants to speak to us if we would only quiet ourselves to listen. We are kind of scared sometimes where our minds will go if we spent that much time without putting something in our ears. Prayer is about intentional, relational attention, focusing on the person of God, that it is a real relationship. We can hear someone's voice speaking to us often in a conversation, but we can also tune them out if we're too distracted. You can be having a good conversation with somebody and then your mind wanders and their mouth is still moving and you can see that happening, but you're not really listening anymore. You're off somewhere else thinking about something that somebody else said to you and then that's actually whose voice you're listening to, not the person you're with in the moment. God is always speaking as well. And we can tune God out individually within our relationship with him. And we can also tune out God collectively as a society. And this is the situation of the nation of Israel in the Middle Bronze Age in ancient times, which is also known as the time of the judges. That's what we're gonna be looking at today. The era of Israel's history known as the time of the judges. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter three. Samuel was the last of the judges. And in the book of Judges, it says this. In their age of distraction and tuning out God societally, it says, in, their, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Wait, were we talking about Los Angeles or ancient Israel? <laughs> Oops. We are going to see from this passage that we need in our society, in our age of distraction, consecrated individuals able to hear the voice of God above all of the noise and able to distinguish God's voice from other voices, like voice recognition software. <laughs> all of you guys who have you know, Apple phones or digital assistants or something like that, you know if I say, hey Siri, there she is. Uh -huh. Yeah, she pops up. If someone else is going to say, hey, Siri, on my phone, what's going to happen? Here, go ahead, Chris. Hey, Siri. Nothing. You know why? Voice recognition software. Siri knows my voice. 
not Chris's voice, right? Which is great, because then all of our phones would be going off all the time. We need to learn voice recognition with the voice of God. This phone has been tuned to hear my voice. Our hearts need to be tuned to hear the voice of God. Listening prayer is a practice to hear from God and respond with obedience. And like I said at the beginning, I am learning this right now, so I am by no means teaching you as an expert this morning. I have not figured it out. There are people in this room who are way more adept at hearing the voice of God than I am. But we are going to learn how God spoke to one consecrated individual during a distracted generation. So the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3, we're going to read the whole chapter. We're going to focus on the first 10 verses, though, but just to get the whole story. The boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and prophetic visions were not widespread. One day, Eli, whose eyesight was failing, was lying in his usual place. Before the lamp of God had gone out, Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was located. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Hineni, here I am. He ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. I didn't call, Eli replied, go back and lie down. So he went and laid down. Once again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. I didn't call my son, he replied, go back and lie down. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Once again, for a third time, the Lord called Samuel. He got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Then Eli understood that the Lord was calling the boy. He told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came, stood there, and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel responded, speak, for your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, I am about to do something in Israel that everyone who hears about it will shudder. On that day, I will carry out against Eli everything I said about his family from beginning to end. I told, him, I told him that I am going to judge his family forever because of the iniquity he knows about. His sons are cursing God, and he has not stopped them. Therefore, I have sworn to Eli's family, the iniquity of Eli's family will never be wiped out by either sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until the morning, then he opened the doors of the Lord's house, and he was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Here I am, answered Samuel. What was the message he gave you? Eli asked. Don't hide it from me. May God punish you and do so severely if you hide anything from me that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and did not hide anything from him. Eli responded, he is the Lord. Let him do what he thinks is good. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and he fulfilled everything that Samuel prophesied. All, Dan, all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a confirmed prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear in Shiloh because there he revealed himself to Samuel by his word. 
This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, it is our deepest desire to hear from you this morning, not the words of a human being, but the words of the lover of our souls, our Heavenly Father. Speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. May anything that I say that is not of you completely fall on deaf ears, but may our ears be opened to hear the voice of your Holy Spirit speaking to us, and may we respond in obedience. Teach us to pray, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. So we need to do a little bit of background to understand the meaning of this story. Verse 1 says, In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and prophetic visions were not widespread. We have in this story a story of priests, people who are supposed to be standing before God doing ministry, which is mediating the presence of God to people and mediating people's prayers to God. But the nation was religiously stale, completely stale. Israel had tuned God out. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And there were these judges that there were leaders in Israel that God kept raising up who continually rescued Israel from being conquered after they would fall into idolatry and syncretism with the religious practices from all the surrounding nations. And this guy, Eli, this priest, was an example of this religiously stale society. In verse 2, it says, his eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see. And this was speaking physically, but it was also speaking spiritually and metaphorically. He could not see. In verse 1, it says, there was no frequent vision in those days because Eli couldn't see. A priest represents God to the people and the people to God. Eli's physical state of blindness was a parable of the spiritual state of the nation. Blind and deaf to God's word. He was an old man who had successfully performed his duties as a priest, but had failed miserably in his leadership. He tolerated injustice and religious manipulation from his sons, who were also priests. And as priests, they were in charge of temple sacrifices, which meant they would take the sacrifice, the animal sacrifices that the people would bring as an offering to God, and they were supposed to kill it and offer it on the altar. But it was the priests who were able to receive a portion of meat to eat from that sacrificial offering, and that was kind of like their due, what they were given for their job of being priests. But these kids, Eli's sons, would forcibly take the best portions of the animal sacrifices so that they would save the best meat for themselves. And if people couldn't afford it, they would say that they were not able to sacrifice. And they also decided that it was their right to sleep with the other women who were ministering in the temple, something that the Lord had specifically commanded against, not just sexual infidelity and adultery, but specifically that. In chapter 2, verse 12, just the chapter before, it said, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And what's worse from God's perspective is that Eli, their dad, knew about it and didn't 
act. He failed to do anything about his knowledge of his son's infidelity to God. And just before this chapter began, what we read, Eli had been visited by somebody who is described as a man of God, who told Eli that his negligence had made him complicit in his son's injustice, and that God was going to remove his family from their duties as priests, and that he would have to watch his own sons die as a result of his negligence. Verse 29 in chapter 2, it says, Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? That's what the man of God said to Eli. And you know what Eli did in response? Nothing. More silence. More failure to act. And what did it say at the beginning of the chapter? In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. And yet this guy had gotten a direct communication from God. This is what God says to you. And the deafening silence between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 is so loud. There is religious hypocrisy in Israel. Nowhere does it say in any of these chapters, now Eli was a really terrible priest and he didn't do what God said. It just shows us what kind of person he was in the narrative. Now Eli is juxtaposed with a young boy named Samuel, whose name means either God heard or heard from God. It could mean both things. Samuel's mother, Hannah, was a marginalized woman because she was barren and prayed with intensity to God so that she would have a son. And she promised before she even conceived her son that she would consecrate him or give him over to a single task, and that was to serve God as a priest. Before he was even born, Samuel's life was an answer to prayer. He was raised in the temple after his mother consecrated him and gave him over by Eli. So Eli was kind of like a surrogate dad to him after his mother gave him over to be a priest. And in contrast to Eli's sons, it says about Samuel in chapter 2, verse 26, Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. It says something similar about Jesus in the book of Luke. He continued to grow in stature and favor with the Lord and also with man. And so we find Samuel in chapter 3, at the beginning of verse 3, it says, Before the lamp of God had gone out, Samuel was lying down in the temple. You see, the situation in Israel was pretty bad, but hope was not lost for them. Samuel represented a kindling of hope. It says, before the lamp of God had gone out. Now, this is a matter-of-fact statement because there was a giant, like, candelabra in the temple with, like, six golden lampstands burning all the time during the night. And so, matter-of-fact, it just meant, like, that it was still nighttime and it hadn't been morning yet. But it's also a metaphor of Samuel's life. 
He represents the small flicker of hope of the renewal of God's voice and presence among the nation of Israel. For a nation that had gone completely dark and was no longer listening to God, hope was still there, and you could still see it if you were looking in the right place. Now, while Eli, it says in verse 2, was still lying down in his usual place, Samuel was lying down in the innermost part of the temple, where the Ark of the Covenant was, which represents where the very presence of God would dwell. And this tells us our first principle about listening prayer, and that is our posture. Our posture in listening prayer is to be in his presence. Samuel's posture was to make his very home the presence of God. And he had unique duties as a priest, which meant that this was part of his job. Like, he literally had to be there in the temple doing his job. But it's not just about his duty. It's where he wanted to be. He could have been laying down anywhere, but he chose to make his dwelling place the very innermost part of the temple, probably not a very comfortable place to sleep, but sleeping right next to the very place where God had chosen to make his presence dwell in a unique way. The ark of God represented this place where God chose to make his presence known, and his unique manifest presence is different from the reality that God fills the whole earth. God had chosen to make his presence known in that specific location, and that's where Samuel liked to spend his time. The practice of listening prayer involves getting into a quiet place and eliminating distractions. Eliminating distractions and simply waiting on God. How often do we actually create the time out of our schedules to eliminate the distractions that we know are going to get at us and spend more than just 5, 10, 15 minutes and just wait on God. You have these little handouts uh, that in your bulletin today that look like this. And this is a little tool that I really have come to love and have been practicing using for the past like six months or so. And it's from this ministry, Navigators. And they're simple guidelines for how to get into a place of practicing listening to God. The practice of listening prayer involves coming before God. It involves recognizing that there are other voices trying to speak to you when you want to listen to God's voice. And in the authority of Jesus' name, commanding those voices to be silent asking God to reveal himself to you in a special way, recognizing that there's stuff within you that God might want to speak to you about. So asking him to search our heart and reveal those things and not shy away from them if they come up and confessing those things to God, recognizing that Jesus himself wants to communicate with you in a special way. And then you simply wait, which is probably the most uncomfortable part. We wait in silence for God to speak. And then, if you have a little journal in front of you or your phone or with an app out, you write down what you sense God is speaking to you. And you believe in that moment that going through this process of listening to God, coming expectantly, believing that he wants to speak to you, 
You can trust that what he reveals to you is something that he's actually speaking to you. And then you test that against the authority of his word and with trusted brothers and sisters and friends. And you recognize that and choose to believe that God has spoken to you. And you continually come to this place of listening and waiting in silence with expectation that God is going to speak. And for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, we now have the Spirit of God, His very dwelling place within us. So there's no place that we have to specifically go to find the manifest presence of God. And the problem is no longer having access to the place where God's presence is. It's actually finding a location where we can get away from these distractions and making the time in our schedules to wait for God to speak in an open-ended way. Not just the quick five to ten minute quiet time, although that's very good on a regular basis to do every morning, five, ten, fifteen minutes, whatever you can do. But on a regular basis, carving out extra time to just wait on him and listen. Using all of the scriptures on this bookmark is incredibly helpful to do that. If you find yourself getting distracted in those places, just looking up Hebrews 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, come fully present and fix your attention on, Lord, I'm fixing my eyes on the author and perfecter of my faith. Lord, I command all voices to be silent in the name of Jesus. Just using these scriptures to guide your time is incredibly helpful. And the word of God, Hebrews chapter 4 says, is living and active, which means it's incisive and cuts through all of the noise that we would be tempted to distract ourselves with like a scalpel of a surgeon. And if we sit and we listen for God's voice, it just takes one word from the creator of the universe to cut through all of that other noise, and it replaces like five or ten days of listening to the most beautiful sermons or podcasts or like anything like that you could fill your mind and your attention with. All of that stuff might be good. You might have pages and pages of notes from like great Bible studies and lectures and sermons and all that kind of stuff. But when the creator of the universe speaks one word to your heart that you know is intended for you, all of that stuff you can be like, I don't need another sermon for a while now. You still need the sermon. But Martin Luther even says this about listening prayer. He was talking about um, praying the Lord's Prayer on a regular basis. And he says, if such an abundance of good thoughts comes to us during prayer, make room for such thoughts. Listen in silence and under no circumstances obstruct them. The Holy Spirit himself preaches here. And one word of his sermon is far better than a thousand of our prayers. Many times I've learned more from one prayer than I might have learned from much reading and speculation. I love that. Those of you who have spent time listening and practicing listening prayer, and you've heard the voice of God speak directly to your heart, you know that that meant so much more to you than all of the empty recitations and all of the things that we go through the motions doing. If this is hard, if you find yourself going, I've tried this before and it's really difficult, do not be discouraged and do not give up because next, the next principle about listening prayer is that it's a process. 
Let's reread verses 4 through 7. Then the Lord called Samuel and he answered, here I am. He ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. I didn't call. Eli replied, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Once again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel, Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. I didn't call my son. He replied, go back and lie down. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The main meat of this story is this dramatic irony of God calling out to Samuel and Samuel not recognizing his voice over and over again. And the reader knows that it's God speaking, but Samuel doesn't. And you would think that if God really spoke to you, it would be easy to distinguish the voice of God from other voices, right? It's God, but that is not the case. And the problem is not with God. <laughs> it's not that he's not an effective communicator. If there was so much confusion on Samuel's part, we might be tempted to say, why doesn't God just make it more clear and easy for him to recognize his voice? It's the second, or the next quote on your handout is from Pete Gregg from his book, Hearing from God. It says here, we come to the heart of the problem that many millions of Christians have with hearing God, namely their presumptions about what God sounds like and their expectations about how they think that he should speak. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He did not know his voice. It hadn't been revealed to him. The problem wasn't with how God was communicating. The problem was Samuel didn't know to listen. He didn't know how to distinguish God's voice from other voices in his life. It's very possible, like Samuel, to know about God and to not actually know him personally. We need an intimate and personal knowledge of God. It's not enough just to know about God or to exist in an environment like this where other people know God and are speaking to him. But God was not perturbed or impatient with Samuel as he mistook the source of his voice. God was not impatient with him at all. God knows that there are other voices competing for our attention in our life. What might it be for you this morning? Like Samuel, it might be like an authority figure in your life. You've been trained to think that the voice of God sounds like your parent or your boss or your teacher who gave you a hard time in school. And so whenever you're trying to listen to the voice of God, those voices are just bouncing around in your head. And God, do you sound like that? God's voice doesn't sound like those people. Or we might be thinking or hearing or listening to whatever we have trained ourselves to listen to the most, the news, TikTok trends, people's opinions, all of these things replay in our minds over and over again. And so when we actually quiet ourselves down and eliminate distractions, those are the, those are the tapes still replaying in the back of our mind. Sometimes it's even the lies of the enemy. The enemy would love to co-opt that time that you have set aside to listen to the voice of God and just whisper lies to you about shame 
or things that he wishes that you would spend more time focusing on and you know that you're like, oh, I'm a failure. I don't spend that much time. I haven't carved out so much time to listen to God lately. And the enemy's like, yeah, you haven't. You're pretty much a failure, a miserable loser. All of those, all those voices, the enemy would love for you to dwell on that. And that is why it's so important to exercise Christ's authority in that moment and say, no other voice but the voice of the Holy Spirit speak to me in the name of Jesus. All of our own self-talk, it's about voice recognition. The process of tuning our hearts to be able to hear the voice of God. Jesus said in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. He knows you, and he knows what it is that is hard for you to eliminate the distractions. He knows what voice you're listening to instead of him, and he wants you to be free of those things. He wants to tune your heart so that you can hear his voice. Three times God speaks to Samuel, and Samuel doesn't understand. And that's juxtaposed with the three times that God spoke specifically to Eli, and Eli didn't listen. It's about obedience. The word for listen in Hebrew is the same as the word obey it carries the connotation that if you listen to somebody say something, then you're going to do something about it, right? Shema is the word. So it carries this like, okay, if the God of the universe is speaking to me, I'm going to follow up and do something about it. But we don't so often, just as Eli did not. For Christians, we're scared that if we were to quiet ourselves, that maybe God doesn't want to speak to us. That there might be something he would draw our attention to that we don't want to know about ourselves or about our situation. Maybe we'd be asked to give something up that's just too precious to us. Or to risk something that might be really uncomfortable. God definitely wants to get, ourselves, to get us out of our comfort zones to risk something. And so he might speak something to you that involves you looking really foolish but involves blessing somebody else on his behalf. So lastly, what if I've been trying to hear from God and nothing's happening? So we've learned that we have to posture ourselves in his presence. We've learned that in order to hear God, it's a process. Finally, we must understand that it's God's prerogative to speak. God is the one who initiates Verses 8 through 10, it says, Once again, for the third time, the Lord called Samuel. He got up, went to Eli, and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli understood that the Lord was calling the boy. He told Samuel, Go and lie down. If he speaks to you, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went down and lay in the place. And the Lord came and stood there and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel responded, Speak, for your servant is listening. Hearing from God is not something we can manipulate or command him to do. God speaks to whomever and whenever he pleases, and we can't do anything to make him. We can posture ourselves to hear from him in prayer, and we know that it is his desire to speak to us, but we cannot manufacture his voice. So don't get discouraged. God will speak when he's good and ready. Our, 
Our part is to posture ourselves and to enter into the process. God speaks in so many different ways, and he is always speaking. He speaks through scripture. Psalm 119, his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. He speaks through his church. He speaks through your brothers and sisters who you might not necessarily want to listen to on any given day. He speaks prophetically through people that he's specifically gifted. 1 Corinthians 14 says, in your gathering, an unbeliever might come and hear prophecy and fall down on their face proclaiming God is really among you because God still speaks that way. He speaks through his still small voice, the voice of his Holy Spirit, just like in the story of Elijah on the mountain. God was not in the earthquake. God was not in the windstorm or the fire. God was in this still small voice. Our internal sense of knowing, he speaks through dreams or metaphors or pictures. He speaks through culture or creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. God is speaking more frequently than we are able to perceive. And the nature of how God speaks has changed over time. But God has spoken definitively in the person of Jesus, who is known as the Word of God. It's not in your handout, but let me read Hebrews chapter 1. It says, Long ago, God spoke to the ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, though, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Definitively, once and for all, Jesus is the word of God to us. Jesus, the very word of God that spoke the world into existence and keeps everything going, sustains everything by the word of his power, he spoke most powerfully to us when he was hanging on a cross, paying for all of our sin for our rejection of God's word, for our religious hypocrisy, for doing what was right in our own eyes, his willing endurance of suffering on our behalf when he didn't speak a word in his own defense, finally, when all of our sin had been paid for, cried out, it is finished. And that is the word that reverberates and echoes throughout eternity. It is finished. And God continues to speak in these ways and in so many ways. And God's word always accomplishes what it sets out to do. Will we listen? You see, the purpose, finally, the purpose of listening to God is not so much telling us where to go and what to do, although it does that. It's not so much confirming the direction of your life and your vocation, although he does do that. If we listen, the primary purpose of listening to God is intimacy with Jesus. The primary purpose of quieting ourselves to listen to God is to be with the lover of our souls. Intimacy and obedience to God's word cultivates the same type of spiritual authority that Samuel was able to speak. And for the rest of his life, what did it say? Not one of his words fell to the ground. Not one of the things that he spoke on God's behalf did not come true because he had this intimacy with God and he obeyed God's voice and he had the spiritual authority to speak on his behalf. 
So for us, as we respond, we need to address some of the barriers that would prevent us from listening. For some of us, it's unbelief. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't know that he is the lover of your soul, you don't know that God spoke a definitive word about you and about the world when he gave himself up on the cross dying for your sins. And today, hearing from God just means hearing you are loved, you are a sinner who has been paid for, and you are mine, and you need to come home. For some of us, we've lost childlike faith. Like Samuel, we've kind of moved more towards the hardened, seasoned religious person like Eli. We're unwilling to hear. We've created these barriers, but we need to pray Psalm 40, verse 6, God, dig out our ears so that we can hear. For some of us, we're living lives that are just way too distracted to even hear from God. We've not carved out any of the time. So the the call for us today is just to make a resolution to do that, to spend some time. Spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude, just spend a day. It doesn't have to be like every day. (laughs) For some of us, it's lack of practice. Samuel didn't know because... He didn't have anyone shepherding him and teaching him until Eli finally recognized that's what was happening. He said, it's the Lord, so this is what you have to do. You might need a mentor in your life. You might need a spiritual director. You might need to come to Devin as a pastor and say, I don't really know how to hear God's voice. Can you help me? You need a mentor. Don't expect that you know how God is going to speak. And for some of us here, we are not able to hear God's voice because we have Specifically, like Eli, compromised our ability to hear him through sin and perpetual disobedience. We, like Eli, prioritize other things, other loves over the love of God. He loved his sons more than God, and so he tolerated sin in his life and the life of his sons, deceiving himself into thinking that he is prioritizing God's voice because that was his job. He was a priest. It's a tragic story because... He listens to God's word when Samuel finally speaks it. And Eli says, it is the Lord. Let him do what he wants. When he's finally humbled, it's too late. But it's not too late for us because God's mercies are new every morning. So let's go to him in prayer. And I'm going to invite Pastor Devin up to lead us in a time of response and however he would direct us to listen to God's voice. Lord, we have quieted ourselves now to listen to your word. We have heard your word today through 1 Samuel, this ancient word that speaks to us today. And it's our desire to respond to it effectively. And we know that it's your Holy Spirit who ministers powerfully and can cut through by your word any apathy, any indifference, any disobedience, any perpetual sin that we have allowed to separate us from you. And so whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would put your finger on it and that you would speak in a way that we would clearly hear from you and respond in obedience today so that we can be intimate with our Savior and our Lord Jesus. In his name we pray.